Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Coming up on You Need Therapy. This is where it's like, Oh, it's so vicious because with religious trauma, imagine you're going to get punished. It's not just you're going to get punished here. You're going to hell. You're damned. Your salvation's gone. Like those are, that's like the high stakes, you know, for a lot of people in this experience and that fear that comes from it, you know? I started to realize that not being an expert isn't a liability. It's a real gift. If we don't know something about ourselves at this point in our life, it's probably because it's uncomfortable to know. If you can die before you die, then you can really live. There's a wisdom at death's door. I thought I was insane. Yeah. And I didn't know what to do because there was no internet. I don't know, man. I'm like, I feel like everything is hard. Hey, y'all. My name is Kat. I'm a human first and a licensed therapist second. And right now, I'm inviting you into conversations that I hope encourage you to become more curious and less judgmental about yourself, others, and the world around you. Welcome to You Need Therapy. Hi, guys, and welcome to a new episode of You Need Therapy podcast. My name is Kat. I am the host and your biweekly quick reminder that although this podcast does serve to help you guys on whatever journey you're on, it does not serve as a replacement or a substitute for any kind of mental health services. Now, this week's episode is extra special in a different way because we have a guest and it's not just any guest. It is one of the therapists that works at my practice, Three Courts Therapy. Her name is Julia Langner and she is just a wonderful presence. She is calming. She is soothing. She is joyful. She's just a wonderful person to share energy with, which is a quality of a therapist I would highly look for. And it's a natural part of who she is. It's She doesn't have to try to be those things, which is, is really, really special. And this week, we are talking about spiritual abuse and religious trauma, which is something that Julia actually does have experience working with and enjoys working with. So I want to give 
an extra shout out to anybody who listens to this episode and feels called to maybe start doing their own work within this place that Julia might be somebody you want to reach out to. Keep in mind that she's only able to work with clients that are living in Tennessee due to licensing and ethics in our field. However, she also has a Instagram you can follow, which I love and has been helpful for me to follow along since she created it. Her handle is at the self-compassion counselor. She's also the new brains behind the Unique Therapy podcast Instagram. So any of the beautiful poster reels that you've seen lately, those are all her. So quick reminder that you can also follow us at Unique Therapy Podcast to get up-to-date information on what we're talking about on the podcast and the things that stand out on the episodes. So without dragging this on too long, I want to get into this conversation because it was a really good one to have with somebody that I think is really wonderful to have it with. So please enjoy my conversation with Julia. So let's start with, we were talking before I hit record, well, to define religious trauma, do we need to understand what trauma is? Yeah. And I think that I've done uh, the difference between series, the series that I do with Tara Booker, where we talk about this clinical term or this therapy term, and then we actually talk about what it means in pop culture and then what it means when it comes to being a therapist. And I think we did an episode on that. And what I was taught and what I still believe to an extent is that trauma is something that is anything less than nurturing. It's also something that we have the power to define for ourselves. So what might be traumatic for one person might not be traumatic for another. And we don't always have the the skills and the information to say, well, that wasn't traumatic for me, so it can't be for you. And so I'm very curious for you to share how you understand what trauma is when it comes to the mental health world. There's a lot of definitions out there, which can make it hard. But I think about it as something happened to you that shouldn't have or something that should have happened to you didn't. And either way, it was outside of your brain or your body's ability to process it in the moment. So it gets stuck as trauma. Yeah. Such a nice definition. And <laughs> of a not a, nice thing. Yeah. Of a not, oh, yeah, of a not <laughs> nice thing. Ugh. And let's start with that as like our baseline. Mm-hmm. I think that's a good starting place to then to understand some of the concepts that we're talking about. You're somebody who likes to. And what's weird, what is weird about being a therapist? It's like, what do you like to work with? And it's like eating disorders, trauma. And it feels like kind of weird. because It's like, well, I don't like that these things exist. And I don't like get like a sick joy from working with these things. But at the same time, we do find some kind of connection and joy mm-hmm. in helping people heal from these things. So I just say that because as I was like, what do you, you like to work with this? It feels weird because it's it, <laughs> my it, passion is trauma. Yeah, yeah it feels like, weird. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's not necessarily what we're saying is that you love trauma. It's that you like helping people heal from it. So yeah. I'm curious what got you into a place of, oh, this is something that I actually want to focus on and work with. I feel like for a lot of therapists, it's it's from my own story and experiences. And I think that's to speak about like the trauma generally and also religious trauma, like my own experience of that. And then also people close to me who walked through it or are still walking through it and just feeling like, oh my gosh, this is really important. It's really confusing mm-hmm. and impacts the way you think about yourself and the world and your family and all those things. So 
I think some of the passion comes from that and just wanting to make sense of some of the chaos. And therapy is also a weird job because we're taught so much to keep ourselves separate. But for the most part, when it comes to helping professions, we're helping out of a place of knowing, Mm -hmm. right? So I started working with eating disorders that came from a place of knowing. What's interesting about my stories, I wanted to work with eating disorders when I didn't know that I had one. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I wanted to help people, which there might be a correlation here with the spiritual trauma too, is I've worked on this, but it's still like, oh, I wish this isn't the way that I, I had to get here. But when I went to school, I wanted to help people lose weight. I wanted them to like learn how from a very like sick, I was in my own eating disorder space. And so I wanted to be a therapist that helped people like make better choices for their lives, Mm, you know? mm -hmm. Yeah. And then I got into school and I got into therapy and I was like, oh, so what I wanted to do is help people have eating disorders and that's not what I want. And so then that passion continued to develop of like, oh, I want to help people that were in that place because I had no idea what was in it. Yeah. And that might be what you're talking about too is there had to be a space where I realized I'm experiencing something like this and I didn't know until I knew. It's like research is me search. Yeah. That's what it's all about. I think oh, about that's it all good. the time because I found myself in this place yeah. of like, these things happen to me. I'm seeing these things happen to people around me in regards to the religious trauma aspect. And you know, it's like that voice is like, okay, can we like, can we Google it? Like what's going on? And you start to read about it and you're like, maybe this is me. And you dig deeper and deeper and research is me search, you know? It's like you kind of start to look for the things that are speaking to your own experience. Well, yes, that's with everything. Cause yeah. anytime I'm like listening to a podcast or reading a book or doing this, I'm like, oh, I wanna know more about the thing that I feel connected to. Mm-hmm. So let's start with this because this is something that I, I'm seeing more and more and more and more and more and more and more. Just how you're just we're seeing people talk about trauma more. We're talking so we're seeing people talk about religious trauma more. Why do you think is it that all of a sudden we have all this religious trauma? Is it because TikTok? Is it because what is your understanding of that? Wow, I don't have TikTok, so I didn't even know it was being talked about there. You don't have TikTok? I don't have TikTok. I'm trying to avoid it for as long as possible. Wait a second. I know. Have you ever almost downloaded it? No, no. I don't let myself go there. Because Instagram is so, like, Instagram's my thing. Do you watch reels? I do. And it comes from TikTok. Like, don't they all kind of come from TikTok? I feel like people put videos on TikTok and then later they put them on reels. But I don't really know. I just am very jealous of you. I feel like I'm exposing, like, I do your marketing, but I, like, don't actually know <laughs> what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm exposing myself. <laughs> well, we are, are concerned with, I don't, uh, TikTok, I feel like, is a dark place. Yeah. So I'm very proud of you. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. So for you, this doesn't obviously, it, it can't just come from TikTok. Yeah, then. yeah, yeah. Okay. So what do you think then? Well, I think that just in general, we have so much more information at our fingertips about all things, but this is one of those where it's yeah i guess it's on tiktok it's on there's documentaries there's just like more opportunities for things to be out in the open and exposed the media is going after a lot of a lot of institutions of this and so i think too like okay have you heard of the book jesus and john wayne no oh my gosh you have to read it it's amazing so she there's this author she's a professor at calvin university which is actually where both my siblings went i'm very connected to calvin Mm -hmm. but she's a professor there and she like kind of digs into how for many many decades she talks specifically about the white evangelical american version of church and how just 
since like the 1950s, 1960s, there's just been like layers of a lot of toxic masculinity and mm-hmm. patterns being built up and then like fed into what's now like mega church culture these days and celebrity pastors. So anyways, I think that like we're living in this unique era where we have massive mega churches. Celebrity pastors are a thing, which sounds just like a, a silly term even like, mm-hmm. how is that a thing? And with something so big, like naturally something could go wrong you know yeah it, it's like bigger's not always better yeah and, and the power there did you listen to the podcast the rise and fall of mars Hill? <gasps> i was literally gonna bring that up yes something that makes me crazy is when people say well i had this career before but it was a waste and that's where the perspective shift comes that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, my name's Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every family has skeletons in their closet. Mine certainly does. Ones that go back a hundred years and reach thousands of miles back to our hometown in Sicily. Ever since I can remember, my relatives told the story of my great-great-grandmother who was killed by the mafia. I'm Joe Piazza, and in my new podcast, I'm taking on a generational vendetta, visiting the scene of the crime, confronting mafia experts, tracking down Italian officials, and even consulting mediums to set the record straight on my great-great-grandmother's mysterious disappearance. And in between the fact-finding missions, I'll be drinking a lot of wine and eating all of the pasta. Come to Italy with me to solve this 100-year-old murder mystery. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Did you listen to the podcast, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill? I was literally going to bring that up. Yes. Okay. Yeah. If you're interested in this topic and you haven't listened to that podcast series, you should listen to it. It's long and it's a lot, but it's also like 
eye-opening and you get to see a good behind the scenes picture of sometimes what's going on Mm -hmm. from something that looks very pretty on the outside yeah and I think that we haven't even defined what religious trauma is we'll get there but (laughs) I think that's what's so confusing about a lot of this stuff is it's something that looks so pretty on the outside and the heart of it is supposed to be good so how is it bad right so how does any of this stuff that I'm taught that is actually supposed to be teaching me how to live a life that is going to give me more and prepare me for what's next better. How is this thing bad? And how do I know? Like the discernment is so, I don't even have the word for it. Anyway, we're getting ahead of ourselves. I want to get a picture of what is religious trauma? How would you actually, if a client was in front of you being like, "Uh, I think I might be experiencing this, but I don't really know what it is. What is it? I think it still comes from like something happened to you or didn't happen to you that affected your body's ability to process. And it comes from religious practices or teachings or a religious institution that is abusive or destructive or degrading. And it can take on different forms even. Like there's, yeah, there's a spiritual abuse piece, which like if religious trauma is kind of speaking towards like religion or an institution itself, spiritual abuse is often more like interpersonal. It's often Mm. between like, a person and another person or a person in a group of people or, you know, clergy or Mm -hmm. whatever. So it's more interpersonal. But then there's also indoctrination. And there's even just like having a traumatic event that's associated with one's faith. So all these different things could be a part of the religious trauma umbrella. Yeah. What I think is important probably to note in the beginning of this conversation is that I... We live in a, the black and white society. And so things are all good or they're all bad. And what I want people to know who are doing the me search and are like, this feels like me, is sometimes that results in you moving far away from whatever church you're in, whatever spiritual practice you're in, whatever group you are in. And that's necessary. That's not always the experience yeah um you also have the ability to work through some of that and maybe you and we'll get into the like deconstruction and reconstruction but maybe you do some work and you look at what you want to keep and what you want to move away from but it doesn't have to be this black and white of because i've experienced some of this that i have to convert to another religion or Mm -hmm. i can't have any religion in my life or i can't associate with anybody who believes these things like we don't I don't ever want to send the message I mean there are times when something is all bad I I will say that but I don't want to send the message that that's always what this is yeah but I do want to send the message of and this is a lot of times the purpose of this podcast is giving people information so they have the ability to discern what feels okay and what doesn't especially in religious spiritual types of environments it feels like you don't have the right to say that's not okay because in those kinds of situations, there's a hierarchy and we're usually at the bottom, mm-hmm. right? So I have to listen to these people above me. And if I say that, it's like I I felt like growing up, I never had the choice to question any. I have the option to question anything because who am I? Mm-hmm. And I just need to trust these people. And if they say this, then you do that. And that's oftentimes I think what kids view and school systems and all kinds of systems. I want to give people the opportunity to start to question wonder about things. Yeah. And I think that's a healthy expression of religion or a healthy expression of 
like you you can tell you might be in a healthy context of religion when you are encouraged and allowed to question but these situations where you see the religious trauma come out of there's a there's a term that someone in town there's a therapist in town dr laura anderson and she's like an expert on this and she uses the term high control religion and that's like the context where you are discouraged from questioning if you have doubts you are bad it is shamed mm-hmm. it requires obedience it requires just kind of that like subservience and loyalty to the beliefs and so that's where it's like this stuff starts to become under what could become religious trauma religion itself is not just traumatic, traumatic you yeah know? like it's really healthy for a lot of people when it's in a healthy context or you're part of a healthy congregation so yeah it's that's like an important distinction i think I like that. If you feel like you are able to question and wonder and be curious, that's a sign of, huh, you might have been in a good place. There still could have been something there. Of course. But yeah. if you feel like you were not allowed to question anything and if you questioned something, you would be punished. Mm-hmm. Think about if we were, uh, think about if you were in school and maybe people had this experience and you're learning, I don't know, you're learning something in math, geometry, and you raise your hand and you're like, I don't get it if A plus B equals whatever (laughs) then how you ask a question and your teacher like slaps your hand it's Mm -hmm. like you're being disruptive i can't believe you would try to clarify that go to the principal's office if i was that parent that got called that my kid was in trouble i'd be like what they were trying to understand what you're teaching yeah we should not be punished for trying to understand something this is where it's like oh it's so vicious because with religious trauma imagine you're gonna get punished it's not just you're gonna get punished here you're going to hell you're damned your salvation's gone. Like those are, that's like the high stakes, you know, for a lot of people in this experience and that fear that comes from it, you know? And what always gets me is nobody really knows. Yeah, right. <laughs> from my understanding, nobody has gone to the afterlife and come back. Well, I guess if, depending on what religion you believe, but <laughs> nobody here on the earth right now really knows that. These are things that we have been taught to believe from things that have been passed down. Mm-hmm. So there's nothing wrong with believing in that faith, but we also, there is that part that it's natural to wonder, especially because a lot of religions, especially Christi- Christianity, I mean, it's well known that this is beyond our understanding. Mm-hmm. So to say like, how dare you have curiosity in your brain doesn't really make sense yeah right to me personally okay so we kind of talked about like one way of knowing that oh i might be experiencing some of this spiritual religious abuse or trauma what are some other kind of like red flags that will help somebody understand like oh that was me Mm -hmm. or i'm in that first i think it's important to note that like if you're feeling confused about your experience that's normal and that can even be a symptom of the religious trauma itself because a lot of it often involves increasing self-doubt like vicious Mm -hmm. self-doubt you are probably losing your sense of self your personal identity your autonomy in these situations so your ability to think for yourself is kind of lost on you and that like lack of trust in yourself too and often lack of trust in others so it can be hard to see in ourselves when we're in the middle of it like because you're lacking that ability to kind of trust yourself and trust your experience. Which for anybody who's listened to multiple episodes on uni therapy, this is mimicking some of the narcissistic abuse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So when I start to lose my sense of self, I start to 
not be able to question things. I'm not allowed to wonder. I have to fall in line with certain things. And when I step out of those bounds, I'm punished. And then I'm the, the gaslighting. Mm-hmm. So I imagine that's something that happens very often in these spaces too. There's a lot of gaslighting, which is just the result is you feel crazy. Yeah. Let me just give a little example and see what you think about this. And I'm speaking from not the context of a therapist. I'm speaking from the context of a human who was raised in a Christian environment. And I'm not saying that I was raised in a super toxic Christian environment. This is just something that I I wonder what would you would say about this. So in Christian communities, oftentimes there are teachings that are now called purity culture. And it's the teachings are very much based around more specifically women. I mm-hmm. think men can very much be in that space, but more specifically, this is targeted towards women. And what they're supposed to do with their bodies, about their bodies, whether that's how sexual they are, whether that's how they dress, whether that's how they present themselves. But there's this idea that we must maintain this sense of pureness to do right by the powers above and be good. It's so interesting when I'm even describing this because it's like, what does that even mean? Like mm-hmm. to be good by whose standard? I guess by God's. But there's just always this sense of this is what's right when it comes to how you present yourself, what you should be doing in your bedroom or I don't know, on your kitchen table, whatever, <laughs> <laughs> wherever you do, yeah. what you do. Um, and I never felt personally, I never felt as kid growing up in a in a Christian church that I had the ability to ask why it mm-hmm. never felt that it this is what you do it just is what it is and okay as humans grow up really easy to understand as like a six-year-old maybe as you grow up and you go through puberty you start to like boys you start to do this they're doing that why can't I do that I have this urge I start to like notice my body I'm getting boobs I get the, like then you start to actually desire some of those things yeah But like at the same time, you can't ask why. You already know it's bad. So if I'm internalizing all of that, I'm bad for having these desires or these desires are bad, hide them. You never get to have that conversation of, and it doesn't even mean I want to have this conversation so I can go have wild sex with everybody. Right, right. right. I want to have this conversation because I want to understand and have more information about what this all means. Yeah. Is there a rhyme to this reason? Or is it a reason to the rhyme? Right. There's no rhyme. Oh, it's no rhyme or reason. It's the same. <laughs> is there a rhyme or reason for this? Or did somebody just decide this is what women should do and this is what men should do? Because it's very much what you said in the beginning. It's this patriarchal, like, this is how a woman should act. I didn't see that as, again, I'm not a guy. I didn't see it as much with men. I saw a lot of do these things so so men can control themselves. Mm-hmm. And if you don't, then it's not the men's fault that they couldn't control themselves. It's your fault because you tease them. Yeah. Or you force them to have these urges. So I'm supposed to shove mine down. I'm not sure what these men are being taught about theirs. And it's it's just this, you have no ability to wonder. So you have to make sense of that. This goes back to your definition. I'm forced to make sense of it, but I don't have the ability to make sense of it. So I make up a story and the story is not always true. Most of the time it's not. Right. It's usually turn. It's inward of, I'm bad. Yeah. So often, like worth is attached to your, I think. I think. Yeah. Talking specifically in like the white American evangelical yeah presentation 
of purity culture, like for women, your worth is attached to, yeah, are you a virgin? Are you not? What have you, what have you done? And I wish, because I think, and I, I, well, I, I think I speak from my experience and also experiences I've talked to with peers in this, like in experiencing purity culture is just the lack of, of education mm. because really it was just like, there's this message and don't do it and shame and a lot of shame. And when we feel shame, we're not, we're not asking questions. We're not able to be yeah. curious because we're afraid. Afraid. Yeah. That's important that you said that. That feels very, very important that we're not asking questions because we're afraid. Yes. And then we're acting in a, this way because we're afraid. And so there is this essence of using fear as a motivator. And I don't love that. That's not a good motivator for change, you know? No. Yeah. And neither is shame. And for real, un- like real understanding. Again, I'm not saying that if people were given answers to questions they might ask, they might say, okay, I get it now. But the fact that we don't have the ability to ask that, then we're doing things and we can't make sense of our feelings. And so it then turns to that inward again, shame, I'm bad. There's yeah. something wrong with me. Everybody else doesn't seem to have a problem with this. The people that are teaching me this don't seem to have a problem with this. We don't know if that's true. Right. Because nobody's talking about it. Right. And it's like when you haven't done, okay, I think about this, like if I become a mom one day, if I haven't done my own personal work around purity culture, around sex, around my experiences of that, I'm not able to come to my son or daughter and talk openly about it because I'm still in my shame about it. So I think like we're often being taught by people who are still in their shame about it or in messages that are just yeah shameful and fearful and then the conversation doesn't be able to get get to be have and or had and a lot of people are left without like proper actual proper education about sex and messages about it that are really unhealthy and which give us the ability to actually make decisions and give ourselves agency we we can make decisions and feel really good about them Mm -hmm. i think that what is what really sucks is i think when we have these conversations it's like well you're just trying to get people to have sex all the time. And that's not true. If we were able to have these conversations and there was some understanding, there would be a lot of different opinions. I think that's the power of it. And when I make that, if, if I were to still make that decision to, in the Christian sense, save myself for marriage, I could make that choice out of agency and power versus shame and fear. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And I know people who have done that and it's beautiful to watch that because they're not making that choice in shame or fear. But then I've seen people who do that and sex is really hard in their marriage Mm -hmm. and it's distressing. Mm -hmm. And that's where I see like the impact of some of this religious trauma come out. I know. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. 
Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, my name's Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every family has skeletons in their closet. Mine certainly does. Ones that go back a hundred years and reach thousands of miles back to our hometown in Sicily. Ever since I can remember, my relatives told the story of my great-great-grandmother who was killed by the Mafia. I'm Joe Piazza, and in my new podcast, I'm taking on a generational vendetta, visiting the scene of the crime, confronting Mafia experts, tracking down Italian officials, and even consulting mediums to set the record straight on my great-great-grandmother's mysterious disappearance. And in between the fact-finding missions, I'll be drinking a lot of wine and eating all of the pasta. Come to Italy with me to solve this 100-year-old murder mystery. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So we're talking very much about, like, again, the Christian sense of this and the purity culture and the Christian sense. But this is something that this can happen anywhere. It's not just in the Christian world. I think that's where my head goes as a human more often because that's the world I grew up in. Right. But this can happen anywhere. This can happen in any religion. It is very much tied to cult behavior. And we're learning now through, I mean, there's so much content on this in documentaries and stuff like that. There are so many institutions out there that are presenting as a, they all present to offer something good, right? That's, That's the whole thing. Yeah. Okay. So say oh whatever gosh. is coming to your head when I said that because your eyes just got big. I know because I'm so passionate about this because here's the thing. Like, I think this doesn't just apply for religious trauma. It's for any kind of abusive relationship. You don't enter an abusive relationship and be like, sign me up. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> you enter a relationship or you belong to it or you join a church or you Ascribe to this thing, yeah, join a cult <laughs> because you have a need, and they're promising something big, and we all have a need for like community and belonging. We rely on each other for survival. That's just part of it. So you, we have a, a need, and that becomes a vulnerability at times. And then you have this person in power who thinks they have power and are going to abuse it, who's promising big promises mm-hmm. and speaking into that need. And so we go in and we join in hope of getting this need fulfilled. And then we stay in fear because we're stuck in fear. We can't leave. Did I tell you about that quote from the, this is, uh, I don't know who the quote's from. 
<laughs> but I was reading articles on cults after I did all my cult research. Did I tell you about the girl who her family, she was born into a cult and what she said about her family? No. So I'll try to find who this was, but it, she ended up writing a book, I'm pretty sure. But she said like what you said, nobody joins a cult wanting to like ruin their lives. No. They join a cult thinking, oh, this is going to solve a problem that I have, whether it's in my culture, in my society, in my heart in my faith system i'm ascribing to a cult and i'm joining this because it's promising me a better life mm-hmm. we joined the wrong cult is what she said like my the my parents like because really so many things can can be defined as a cult but she was like my parents were looking for a better life yeah we just made the wrong turn we walked into the wrong room they didn't join that because they want to torture themselves and us. Nobody does. But then you can't get out. Yeah. Yeah. And often like those people leading it, leading the cult, leading the you know institution are so charismatic. They're charming. Yeah. And it's, that's the same with like, you can see that in abusive relationships too. You, there's this charm. You, yeah, there's a need and they're preying on people's desire for connection with God. But they need you just as much as you need them. Exactly. Oh my gosh. So I think that's really interesting and something that I really try to reiterate when it comes to people who who find themselves in whether they're abusive relationships or the abusive narcissistic relationships is how did this happen to me? Like what's against the shame of something must be wrong with me that I let this happen. Mm. And and there are things that we need to look at. They're not bad things about you they're just things you want we should explore that you've never been able to explore before but it's also important to look at yeah you walked into that but i want you to know that the person that you are in this relationship with they were just as vulnerable as you are they need you just as much as you thought you need them Mm -hmm. and the interesting thing is now you have the power to unknow that and know that i don't need them they're still in that space where they are still needing the followers, the believers, the people that are, you know, obsessed with them, the admiration, all they still need that. And there's something about you. And it doesn't mean it's a bad thing. Like they look for people. I, I don't think most leaders and I'm not an expert on this, so I could be wrong. But I don't think most people who are trying to create a movement and capitalize on people in these areas are looking for people who are worthless and horrible and have nothing to offer they want good people in their cult so i think it's important not to i must be so weak in this and that and they must looked at me and felt so bad for me it's like no they probably saw something in you that they liked Mm -hmm. and then they saw something in you that they could take advantage of yeah so really important to notice so what would you say to somebody who is listening to this and is like oh i think i might have experienced that with the caveat i don't want to believe this Mm. right i think that was probably something that was hard for in my life of like no because if i if that's true then i have to do something about it uh yeah oh my gosh yeah there's a i was listening to an audiobook and she was talking about kind of like the deconstruction reconstruction experience of of faith and i think what you're speaking to is like your whole foundation is wrecked Mm-hmm. The house you built your life upon is wrecked. And that's what's so insidious about this is like religion encompasses your view of self, your view of the world, your view of God. And so suddenly like your whole way of understanding life is wrecked. And not to mention, like I said earlier, you're, you have so much self-doubt. And so your ability to even like process through and understand, I imagine it's just like a 
hamster on a hamster wheel. Like you're going mm-hmm. back and forth. You don't know what to trust about yourself, your experience. And so I imagine there's a lot of just like questioning yourself, questioning your experience and doubting those experiences. But if if that is you, like if you're listening to this and you're like, this could be me, I don't know. I would say, what can we do to create more space for that voice to speak up and lean into it? Because it probably has a lot to say. It's probably holding a lot. And that's going to be unnatural and hard to lean into that part of yourself or that intuition that's saying like, oh my gosh, something could be wrong or this experience could be wrong. Mm -hmm. It's probably really uncomfortable. But uncomfortable doesn't mean it's unsafe. Yeah. And that voice could have so much to say. And I want to add, because you're right, like there needs to be a a space for that voice to have space. That's why we're even in this situation. Going back to what I said in the beginning of this, it does not mean everything is going in the trash. Mm -hmm. You get to rebuild something with that voice. You're not going to be walking around. I mean, for a period of time, maybe. I can't predict everybody's experience in this, but it doesn't necessarily you have to walk around with no belief system. You get to be a part of creating that. Yes. Yes. This author, it's Sarah Bessie, the book I was reading to, it's called, or listening to Out of Sorts. She was describing this process like a rummage sale. And it's like the whole premise of the book is like, you're going through and you're deciding what to keep, what to toss and what you need to reclaim. And I think what's important too, like, I guess at least in my experience of listening to voices, speaking about this and just what's out there about religious trauma. Nobody should be telling you, oh, you have religious trauma. You got a break from your religion. You can never go back. You can't practice religion again. Or you have, the only option is to deconstruct or deconvert or all these things. That might be what you need, but it's actually about what you need or what you want or what your destination, what you want your destination to be. And you can change your mind about that. One day you could be like, yeah, I really still believe in God and I feel really good about this. The next day you're like, oh my gosh, I got to get out of this. I can't like, I can't go to church. I need a long break. Oh, it's about trauma-informed care. It's like giving the person in this situation the voice and choice and empowerment to make that decision for themselves, which can be hard when you are in experience where you're being told what to do all the time. And that's part of your religious trauma experience. But to be able to make that decision for yourself, what you want your faith to become, if you want it to become anything, that is ultimately that person's choice, not anybody else's. Yeah, which is why therapy is such a good space for this to be explored in. Because if you're seeing a trauma-informed therapist or a therapist that paid attention to anything, you're seeing a therapist who is opening space for you to have agency. Yeah, sometimes we can encourage you in something. We might, you know, sometimes give an opinion of something when the time is right. But the real purpose is to help you figure out what you think, Mm -hmm. not to tell you what you should think. We can give you facts, but we cannot tell you what is right and wrong in certain situations like this because it goes back to like nobody actually really knows. Yeah. It's a spiritual experience that is only it's felt within you. I can't feel your spiritual experience for you. Mm -hmm. And so I also can't tell you that you're wrong and you can't tell me that I'm wrong. Yeah. Important disclaimer. I mean, therapy is the same thing as every other thing we're talking about. And and I am saying this not because I want to scare people away from therapy. But again, I want you to have agency in your therapeutic experience too. Is I can go to a therapist. I feel like I'm not being given a choice. Mm-hmm. 
in some things. Now, it's different when it's like you're coming to therapy and you're like high or you're drunk or you are refusing to eat and you're doing these things where like you could die and it is within our ethical bounds that we have to, okay, you need to eat food. We can't be drinking and driving. Mm -hmm. Those are, those are different. Those are those extremes that I don't want you to pocket that in there. Like my therapist told me that I can't keep doing heroin. Like, well, yeah, that feels appropriate. Yeah. But if they're telling you what you have to do with your own spiritual experience, that's something to pause and explore. Big red flag. Yeah. Yeah. Question because of how we even started this with, again, the agency of we get to decide what feels traumatic and what's not, do you believe it's possible for two people to be exposed to the same experience or both be, I think it's different when I say same experience, like not everybody has the same experience anywhere, but both maybe going to the same church or temple or had the same, I don't know, group of people that they grew up in can one have experienced religious trauma and one not, but they're in the same place? Definitely. Yeah, I feel like that's the whole nuance of trauma itself. It's like, I think about it with like a car crash. Two people can be in the car and get in a car crash. One person can walk away with trauma, not because something's wrong with them, just because of their body, previous experiences, vulnerabilities, genetic predispositions, all those things like make it so that their body wasn't able to process that in that moment. So they walk away with trauma and the other person, not because they're better or anything, just doesn't. And so same, same with this situation. That's not to say though, that like, I mean, the car crash was still bad. Yeah. Like if you have an experience, it's still bad, but you might not come away with symptoms of trauma. It's about like, what, how's your body responding? Yeah. That's such a good metaphor. Is that an analogy or a metaphor? Hmm. I didn't know what alliteration was, okay. so <laughs> don't ask me. <laughs> I think that's so good, though, because I think it's natural to be like, again, shame, what's wrong with me for me not being able to process this? Again, also, like, we don't need to say, well, you were there, too, so you need to do this, too. Like, yeah. we need to al- – this is, like, the whole human experience. This is such a bigger conversation that's, like, over. Oh, it's, like, existential and bigger than my head <laughs> of, like – what is we have to allow people to be people we Mm -hmm. need to allow humans to be individuals and it is not our job to um i'm gonna try not to get like on a tangent here but it's not our job to regulate other people's experiences and what they're doing it's our job to regulate ourselves it's our job to process our feelings it's our job to notice our feelings that that's the only thing that we really really it comes down to it Unless we're caring for an infant or a child, we do not have the power to control other people's. And even when we're doing that, we don't have the ability to control their whole experience. But we can actually have agency over ourselves if we believe that and allow ourselves to. Yeah. Doesn't mean it's not hard. Doesn't mean you get pushed back, which a whole is a whole other thing of what happens when you start to like, you know, go through the rummage, mm-hmm. like do the whole thing of like rebuilding the house. That's going to come with hard things, it sounds like. It's going to come with pushback from family, friends, leaders. Yeah. What would you say to somebody who's like, oh, what happens when somebody tells me that I'm making a mistake and I'm going to regret this and I'm going to, I don't know, go to the underworld? Uh, (laughs) The underworld. (laughs) I love that term. Yeah. Like, 
first validate that because yeah. that's scary i mean i am a people pleaser so if i'm <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm classic like i tell a client to do something and then it's like also really hard for me to actually take that advice but it's really scary to have your family mad at you because you are having this experience um tied to your faith or your spirituality and and you're sorting through it and they're mad and like suddenly that becomes feels threatening you know mm-hmm. to your relationships or to your community like because too like so much of being a part of a faith or a a religion involves community life and so suddenly like you're you are questioning and trying to figure this out maybe taking space and you are maybe being cut off from some of that and that's really scary Mm -hmm. I think what I would say is like sometimes that might be necessary for a time I was listening to the toast this morning it's a great podcast that is about pop culture but I'm taking something from it today because they were talking about Tom Cruise and Scientology. Uh-huh. And I didn't know some of this where like he, I guess I didn't know he was married to Nicole Kidman, but he was and they had kids and she left and her kids don't talk to her. This is what it said in this podcast. I didn't fact check it. However, I was thinking about that. I'm like, oh my, I was like really taken aback of, oh my gosh, like her kids don't talk to her because she got out of this toxic environment also that's really hard because her kids are still in it and that's probably scary for her i thought of it when you said that because when we leave a system that isn't working for us anymore there's a part of this that probably wants to stay connected to that system to please the people we still love in that system yeah because just because you are learning that like this isn't a place for me and I don't believe these things doesn't mean you don't still have a connection and a relationship and love for the humans that you met in those spaces. Again, it's not always all bad. And so what I would offer in that is, and it's not easy, it's much easier said than done, is our, again, our job is not to manage the feelings of the people that are still in that. Our job is not to manage... And again, people please to fix. That's not our job. Our job is to manage the feelings that we have about that experience. Mm. So how can I soothe myself in the discomfort that I feel knowing that this person is scared for me, even though I don't agree with them? I don't want, I'm thinking of like, like family of origin stuff of my mom being scared, my dad being mad, my sibling being whatever. I don't want my dad to be mad and I don't want my mom to be scared. And so rather than doing the thing that would make them not matter scared, I have to do the thing that soothes me so I can stand in my truth instead of enable them. Because if I'm taking care of their feelings, I'm enabling everybody to stay in the system that I'm actually not agreeing with. So then I'm abandoning myself. Yeah, that's so good. I don't even know what I really just said. (laughs) (laughs) But that's like when I sit with people who have done that, like have made that choice for themselves. I think they're so brave. Like they're some of the bravest, strongest people I know because you have to think about how hard that was. You're you're breaking a pattern in your system or you're you're breaking away from a community where you, you know, have so many ties yeah. to and it's threatening and you made that choice for yourself for a the betterment of yeah. yourself. Yeah. And yeah, for your safety and health and all these things. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's so brave because that was not easy. Yeah, the easy thing to do is to make sure that everybody feels good good and pretty and nice. Exactly. But again, Comfort doesn't always mean we're safe and discomfort doesn't always mean we're unsafe. They very much are the opposite sometimes. That's so good. Okay. Well, this was, I, again, I hate this. I wanted to say this was a fun conversation, but like <laughs> I enjoy talking about these things, but I don't love that they exist. Yeah. 
So I'm not going to use the word fun. This was a good conversation. How about mm-hmm. that? Perfect. If people want to contact you, how do you want them to do that? Well, they can find me at the self-compassion counselor on Instagram. Mm-hmm. She's not on TikTok. Remember, <laughs> don't search TikTok. there. <laughs> yeah. Keep me accountable to that. <laughs> I will not I will. get on there. And you can find me on the Three Chords Therapy website. Mm-hmm. I am on there and there's a space for you to email me. Yeah. You, you can reach to. out to her directly if you go to her page on Three Chords Therapy. I mean, you can reach out on any page and ask for her, but you can directly reach out on her little page. And I just had this thought, as you said that about TikTok, is what a blessing for you to not have TikTok in the process of planning your wedding. Oh my gosh. I can't imagine. <laughs> so Julia just got married. Was it March? Yeah. In March. And... I'm now in the process of planning my wedding. And that is what keeps me up at night is not always. It's not like I'm comparing things. It's like idea after idea after idea after idea. And I pride myself in being somebody who doesn't really care that much about (laughs) a lot of things. I just want to have fun. I really just want it to be fun. But then I'm like, but I'll never get to do this again. And all these people did this and there's this. There's so much. It's like content overload of anything. Yeah. But how nice for you to just like plan your wedding and not have to unless you're watching the reels well no you know what cat i have a confession to make <gasps> i didn't even know how to make a reel when you like hired me <laughs> i didn't know how to make a reel <laughs> so i literally had to look it up so no i did not i mean i did not do that <laughs> wait that's really impressive so i want you to go follow her and then follow at uni therapy podcast if you don't and look at the reels that she has they're very good <laughs> you Thanks. must be doing some research i am research is me search <laughs> <laughs> should be the title of the episode okay yeah. well thank you for being here and again you can follow uni therapy at uni therapy podcast you can follow me at cat.defada you can follow julia at the self-compassion counselor that feels like I just said a lot. Mm-hmm. And you can find us both and some other great therapists online at threequartstherapy.com if you are connecting with any of this and want to process some of it yourself. Keep in mind, we can only work with clients that live in Tennessee because we like to obey licensing laws and ethics. So if you don't live in Tennessee, we cannot be your specific therapist. But as always, this podcast is always allowed to serve as some kind of help wherever you are. So thank you for being here. If you have any questions, you can email me, Catherine at unitherapypodcast.com. And until the next time we talk, have the day you need to have. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, 
Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.